All right, church, Exodus chapter 20. So you need your Bible and uh, you need one of these. If you uh, didn't pick one of these up uh, on the way in, you can get one on the way out. Uh, also, I think we all, hopefully you got, uh, you got a cool t-shirt before you came in. There's a handful left uh, when you leave. And if you go up there and they're like, they don't have my size, just say, can I have some other Biltmore swag? And we'll just see how nice they are. They might uh, or might do it and might or might not do it. I would say whoever did that voiceover, man, that is... Who did that voiceover? That, that guy is awesome because I'm um, like, I covet that voice. I sound like a 20-year chain smoker, and that guy sounds like, man, it's like super smooth, super smooth. So again, here, uh, uh, this is what you're going to need. We're going to go through this. First, about 10 minutes is going to feel like a little bit of a family meeting when we kind of go over some big picture stuff. Then we're going to put it in overdrive and uh, jump into Exodus chapter 20 to start, start the year off. And then next week, we're starting a uh, series called A Tale of Two Kingdoms about the kingdom of God and uh, the kingdom of this world and uh, your role in it and how you navigate those things, everything from politics to gender to marriage to, you're like, is it going to get tense? Very tense next week. It will definitely, it will definitely get that way. But today, we're looking at kind of what the, the next year holds. And so if you're a guest here, good Sunday to be here. It's like, our, this is going to reemphasize some things that we were already about. And if you uh, are a regular here, you're like, all right, this is where we're going uh, the next year. And sometimes people with vision kind of get this uh, far out feel, especially with preachers, because some preachers like, uh, I got this brand new vision from God. And I went off and I stayed on an island and then I got this vision and really a biblical vision where it says without vision, the people perish. It's really without prophetic revelation. It's the idea of Okay, how do we put in our context what God has already said is his vision for the church? And that is, how do we make disciples in the WNC? And I would say this, uh, I don't have a lot of New Year's resolutions. I'd be glad if you do, there's some benefit in that. Uh, I've got a couple, but I would say this, in the last uh, 14, 21 days or so, uh, God has given me a resolve uh, a fresh resolve to see uh, Haggai like 2.8 says, you know what, the glory of God, the glory of God will fill the earth like the water covers the seas. And for us, it's like we want to see the glory of God go into all these places in Western North Carolina from your home to these communities to these different towns to your loved ones to these companies. And so, man, I've got resolve. It's been a great 15 years. Cannot wait for the next decade together. And really what we're going to look at is just sort of what today uh, is about and what the next year or so holds for the life uh, of our church. Um, uh, so go ahead and take this open. We're going to jump through the, a couple of these things. Some of these will be things you've seen before, and some of these will be brand new uh, for you. So here it is, a year of worship. I'm going to talk about that in a minute, but the first one is objective number one. Uh, in 2023, we will continue to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus who reach up, reach in, and reach out. And I would say this, at the start of the year, what I'm going to ask you to do is if you're a follower of Jesus, because a follower of Jesus, by definition, means you are taking steps. You can't be a follower if you're not following. And so by being a follower of Jesus, I'm going to challenge you to say, what is your next step? What's your next, take one step in 2023 in being a disciple or being a disciple who makes disciples? Because all this thing is, this little curvature deal and, and this little graph here, all that is, is that is our version, our context of how we try to go about the Great Commission. 
Great Commission, Jesus said, go and make disciples of all the nations. That's what we try to do. So it's like, we're gonna take the gospel and it's gonna start by reaching up, which is a little bit of the emphasis of this year, the idea of worship, then reaching in, which is community, and then reaching out, which is service and outreach. And so I would say this, the word for disciple is simply somebody who follows Jesus. So, and so when you look at this disciple-making process, take one faith step in 2023. For some of you, it might be serving. For some of you, it might be getting in a small group. For others of you, it might be sharing your faith. For others of you, it might be a step in worship. For others of you, I mean, it could be a number of different things. But as a follower, you never mature, you never outgrow taking one more step, taking one step for Jesus and in your relationship with him in 2023. So that's, that, is our, that is our objective. Objective number two, and turn the page. Objective number two, Here's what it is, it says healthy families have healthy rhythms. No single event makes the impact but the cumulative effect of rhythms over time. Here's what that means is when you look in the Bible, especially the Old Testament, you saw how God put feasts and festivals and holy days to give his people a rhythm of discipleship. Those days were marked as saying, you know what, that's a holy day, that's kind of, that's kind of marked as something that we protect. And so we don't do a lot of programs here at our church. We try to keep our discipleship process simple on purpose because we want you to be in the little leagues. We want you to be at the YMCA. We want, you, we want you to be in the PTA. So we don't have stuff all the time here. We don't want you super, super, super busy just doing church stuff. We come in here, we have the huddle, we look over the play, and then we go out and then we run the play in your neighborhood, at your business. But there are some high holy days for us that when you kind of put your 2023 family calendar together, if you're a part of this church, I'm gonna ask you to protect these. These are not all the important events. These are just sort of the high ones. And so it starts off here in just a few months. It's, it's Easter and Good Friday. Yeah, like both and, it is both and. The way we found out a rhythm that really works for us is to have a certain service or services on Good Friday. It's all about the cross. It's not, it's, we actually, a lot of times, you'll see the band members, they'll be like dressed in black. It's, it's very, very moving, but it's not celebratory. But what we're doing is we're preparing our hearts to go into Saturday and Sunday where we celebrate the empty tomb. And so it's hard to celebrate the empty tomb if you haven't spent some time at the cross. And so what I ask you to do is kind of save those. There's multiple services. I don't know how many Easter services we'll have. I've always said one of the weirdest services, and I need some of you to go to it, but one of the weird services for me is the preacher. It's like Saturday Easter services, uh, just trying to add more room because it's like, up oh, from the grave he arose tomorrow. You know, but it's, it's, it's a little bit hard on Saturday, but here's what I want you to do is please, please, please is just mark that off. I know some of you are like, well, we go down to, you know, South Carolina, the upstate, and we do other family. How about this? How about this? Ask your family. It's like, listen, I want to be with my church family on Easter, and um, why don't you guys come up here and celebrate with my church family? Because the bottom line is we're looking for that one more. We're looking for that one more, one more, and that one more could be your son, it could be your daughter, it could be your uncle, it could be your coworker. You don't know. You're always thinking, I want to have one more, I want to reach one more. So I'm asking you, protect these. If you've got kids, you see Adventure Week, that's the artist formerly known as Vacation Bible School, that's Adventure Week. You got Camp Week if you've got a middle schooler or a high schooler. Uh, they've got Wake Weekend coming up here pretty soon. 
<laughs> and we have, uh, we have places where you can serve with chairs as well if you, uh, if you want to help out there. But here's another couple ones. We've got outdoor baptism. Outdoor baptism, a little bit later, very cool day, all right? And this past year, we moved it later, and we moved it later in the afternoon, so you as a church can come out and celebrate, and you see all these people baptized, and you hoop and holler. It's like, it's awesome. It's like youth camp for adults. And then we've got Christmas Eve. You're like, we just had Christmas Eve. We're going to do it again? Yeah, we're going to do it again. It's going to be awesome, all right? And it's actually going to be on a Sunday, which we don't know how the schedule is going to work out, but we are going to do it. And this is, again, there for you, for your calendaring, but most of all, it's there for you, especially on some of these, to invite your one. That's one thing we always want to be thinking, who's that one person God has put on my heart that I can actually invite to church? People still, even though our culture has changed dramatically, and we'll talk about that starting next week, even though it's changed dramatically, people are still more apt to receive an invitation from you to go to church on some of these particular areas or particular days like Easter and Christmas. All right, turn the page. Objective number three. This is not all we're doing in 23, but this is what we will do in 23. By the grace of God, by the power of the Spirit, we will do this. We will participate in a hundred church plants. We've probably done 300 in the last 10 years, but what that means is that we're gonna have to accelerate that deal because the bottom line is those, many of those churches, they will be still reaching people for the gospel long after you and I are dead and gone. I mean, a hundred years from now, some of those churches will be still reaching people with the gospel. About 90% of those are foreign, which by the way, I hope you know this, the fastest growing areas of the church are not even in the United States anymore. They're in places like China and like in the Middle East. That's where the church is exploding. And so we want to get where God is going and about 90% of those are foreign church plants, and then about 10% are domestic. And by the way, I actually got a call even this week. I'll tell you about more in the months ahead, but this week, the largest domestic church planting organization called and said, hey, will you be one of our 10 top ones that plant churches around the United States in places where people don't wanna go? Places like New York and Philadelphia and Las Vegas and all those places that are booming in population, but the churches are not booming there. So it's like, absolutely. All right. I need some of you Haywood County people to kind of whoop and holler and to be a little Baptocostal for me for a minute because what we're going to start doing in really this week, we've already done some due diligence because we've seen tons of people watching from the Waynesville area. We've got a number of you that drive from the Waynesville, Crusoe uh, area, but by God's grace, we are going to be doing due diligence and be launching a Biltmore Church campus in Waynesville, in Haywood County in 2023. So... So what I need you to do, what I need you to do, what I need you, what I need you to do is also there's a little QR code on the back of your, your vision pamphlet. If you just use that QR code, it'll give you the uh, place where you can say, hey, I'm interested in helping out, all right? You might be a realtor who will help us find the location. You might be somebody who can help with the launch team. But bottom line is we are starting those wheels rolling there to be able to launch a Biltmore Church campus in Waynesville. We try to look at places where there's more people than are being served by what we would just say gospel-centered churches, and there's more people that are moving in there, and uh, we want to go in there and uh, see God do a great thing. So. QR code, pray for that. Also, we're gonna have a big worship night in Waynesville uh, this year as well, kind of an information slash worship night there uh, as we gather everybody together and start that process. All right, second brand new thing as well, you can use your QR code. But 
to minister to our community and in some cases and disciple that early, early generation. Uh, starting in the fall of this year, we are going to be opening the academy at Biltmore Church, which that is, that's a preschool. It's not childcare, it's a preschool, but I think it's a zero to five. And I know it's, you know, in Asheville, especially right now, there's just so little regarding preschool choices and that. So what I need you to do here, if you are interested in that, some of you are like, I'd like to teach there. I'd like to know some things about enrollment. My guess is as soon as official enrollment opens, it is going to be packed quickly. All right. So we're going to put a cap on it. We have to facility wise, but QR code, use that. Give us your name. We already got a great person who's going to be leading that up and she will start to, uh, to work with you on that. A lot of other stuff. We want to be a church that ministers to our community from the womb to the tomb. So what that means is we're certainly going to be still working with mountain area pregnancy services, but we're also going to reemphasize because COVID kind of put a lot of the foster care on hold. That'll be reemphasized. Our minimal goal is 50 fully licensed foster care parents, which I think we can probably double that in the next 12 to 18 months. That will put a serious dent in the foster care crisis in Buncombe and Haywood and Henderson County, all those counties. It will put a dent in that. And so uh, some of you are like, well, that's, that's not God's, I don't think that's our plan for our lives. It might be that God's calling you to foster and you don't even know it yet. But I promise you, he's calling a lot of us to come alongside those foster parents and help support them and encourage them and come alongside them and cheer them on as they foster folks. And we got jail ministries that are kicking back off. We got assisted living ministries that are kicking back off or kicking in for the first time as well. There is, uh, there, we're gonna try to do three gospel-focused songs for the big church. You know, we're the little church. We're Biltmore Church. We're one local church. But to whom much is given, much is expected, and God's given us an array of talented folks that can just obviously sing like crazy, and they also are tremendous writers. You actually sang one of their songs a little while ago. So we're going to try to put three of them that are well-produced and then bless the big C church out there. And then lastly, there's going to be 121 new connect groups that will be starting. And that could be the first step, the one step that God is telling you to take. It's like, listen, I want to get in a connect group. Some of you are like, I tried them, they're weird. Well, guess what? Then you're going to be, you're going to be the weird one that starts a group off and then people can say that about you. But bottom line is we need community, you need community. There's 121 new groups that will foster that in the next year. And then one of the things I'm going to talk about today is objective four. And that is, this year is the focus, and that is a year of worship. Now, when we say worship, some of you are like, we're going to talk, we're going to talk about singing for a year. No, it includes singing, but that's not all it is. It's what has our affections. It's what has our heart's attention. It's what we serve. It's what we sacrifice for. Whether you know it or not, whether you're religious or irreligious, you are a worshiper. It's the DNA in which God put in you. And you and I will worship something. And because of our sinfulness and because of our sinful tendency, if we don't worship the true almighty sovereign God of the universe, then we will default and worship other things that the Bible calls idolatry. Now, I understand that we have chronological snobbery and we look back 3,000 years ago and we think of those people that are worshiping these idols as ignorant rubes who are like, what are you doing worshiping some wooden steeple? What are you doing some, some golden calf? But instead of the God of commerce or the God of agriculture or the God of fertility, what we worship today is we worship the God of success or the God of my portfolio or the God of pornography or the God of adultery. And all it is is something that has got our attention and our heart's affection and that we change and we sacrifice for, which is all what the first two commandments 
are about. So here's what we're going to do. If you don't believe that, by the way, all you got to do is look at uh, tomorrow night. Tomorrow night, the largest worship venue in our country will be packed to the gills. Tomorrow night at SoFi Stadium in Southern California will be the national championship football game between the TCU Horn Frogs, all right, and the Georgia Bulldogs, all right. I think personally Georgia's going to beat their brains out, but I'm praying for TCU. I'm praying for TCU. But believe it or not, you're going to see people who are a good demonstration that bottom line, in our heart of hearts, we are worshipers. We are rejoicers by nature. And you will see people like on the TCU side, their colors are purple and white, and they will dress themselves in a frog costume. They will paint themselves purple. They will actually learn the TCU, the TCU fight song, which I'm not lying, the TCU fight song includes Hail, Hail TCU, Praise for You TCU. That sounds a lot like a hymn. That sounds like a worship song. And don't even get me started about the Georgia Bulldogs. I mean, those people are nuts. They are crazy people. They won last year. Now they think they're like God's gift to college football. And they will dress up in that red and black and bulldogs and all this kind of stuff. And their song actually says, this is not an exaggeration. This is not, I didn't make this up. Their fight song includes the phrase, glory, glory to all Georgia. Glory. It means weight. It means my allegiance, my affections are going toward this institution. And there's nothing wrong as long as we keep it in play, but what you will see is that will impact people emotionally, financially. Next week when some of them lose, when they lose Monday night, there'll be some TCU horn Frogs or there'll be some Georgia Bulldogs and it'll like ruin their whole year. They're like, we, we, wow, we choked, we hooked that field goal. And you see Buckeyes that missed their chance to beat Georgia because of that duck hook of a field goal and they're like that was our chance and they are grieved so all that being said you are a worshiper by nature and knowing that knowing that that is in your dna we're going to focus on because there's nothing more powerful in the human experience than authentic worship when you actually encounter the god of the universe in worship it does it drives your emotions it drives your behavior and when we get it right it changes everything, everything. Where marriages are floundering, all of a sudden, breath gets breathed in them. When authentic worship takes place, my ego and my sin and even my trials and tribulations all of a sudden come into perspective. Families that are floundering, all of a sudden, it's like, you know what? There is a God, he is on his throne, and he can change our family. If he can breathe life into his son out of the grave, then he can breathe new life into our family. And so when we look at this uh, text, it shouldn't surprise us that your enemy has a counterfeit and it's called idolatry. Now we, again, we think of idolatry as something way back there. Idolatry is just simply giving our worship to something that is not worthy. And here's the way the first two commandments go. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, which right there in verse two, it's like before you get to all the moral commands is the command to worship God. And he, get, he says, you worship me because of who I am. I am the Lord, your God. That's a covenant name. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of slavery. So you worship me for who I am and you worship me for what I've done. Who brought you out of slavery. It sounds a lot like the gospel that Jesus reached down and took us and rescued us. And then our response to that is worship. Verse three says, and you shall have no other gods before me. 
You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Remember, they're coming out of a culture of 400 years of slavery. The Egyptians had tons of gods. And he's like, listen, I am your one God. I am your one God. I rescued you. And then verse five and the end of verse five actually is why people like Brad Pitt and Oprah Winfrey said, I can't have anything to do with this this Christianity because of this statement. It says, you shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. Now, the whole book of Exodus is about God's people worshiping from the tabernacle to the commandments to you name it. As a matter of fact, depending on your age, when you think of the 10 commandments, you either think of Christian Bale or you think of Charlton Heston, but both of them basically only do about half the quote in the movies. In the movies, they always say, let my people go. Moses goes to Pharaoh, let my people go. But if you look in the biblical text, it says, let my people go that they may come and worship me. The whole point is not just to be delivered from something, it is to be delivered to something, and that was to be able to worship their God. And so um, here's what he says, you worship me for who I am, I am the Lord your God, Yahweh Adonai which is the idea of covenant God, closeness. It's the closeness of God, but it's also the bigness of God. Church, the last couple of weeks, there's something that was very crystal clear on my mind. It's as close to quote a vision, if you will, as as I've had in a long time. It was not just about our church. It was just about really the church in the West, but it was certainly our context was this. And the whole thing is so many of our issues, so many of our issues from doubt to discouragement, to insecurity, to exaggeration, to all these stuff. So much of it is caused by a little view of God. And what worship does is worship magnify. It doesn't make God bigger. It just allows us to see God for as big as he actually is. And so much of this comes because we got this tiny little God, this little carved image, this little God that we are safe and comfortable with. And uh, what he's saying here is whatever you create, I'm bigger. Whatever you see in nature, I am bigger. And a host of other issues come in when you have a small view of God, which worship combats. For example, uh, anxiety or ungratefulness. True story. Not true story, but one I've used before. You all know that for preachers, or at least this preacher, Saturday when I look on the weather forecast and it shows either snow or rain, I mean, historically, I've gotten such a whiner, man. I've such a whiner. When I see that, I don't really want to voice it to God, but I whine around the house. And so yesterday, when I'm looking at the forecast and I was looking at it, it was getting better, it was getting better, it was getting better, but then it was like 100% chance of rain. And do you know the most percentage chance it was? All right, it wasn't Friday. It wasn't this afternoon. It was from nine o'clock to 12 o'clock. I was like, really God, really? Now my normal, de- my normal disposition would have been to walking around and griping to Lori and man, don't you think, I mean, golly, could he not have just waited for just a little while? Maybe make it, you know, maybe make it to the Adventist dude on Saturday or do something, but why is he doing it right now? And you know what? But one of the things I started doing about a week ago is I'm memorizing Psalm 34, verse 1. Some of you might want to do it with me. It's a great, great way to start. And here's the way Psalm 34, verse 1 says, and it starts off and it says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. And so with that fresh on my mind, instead of whining and walking around the house, griping about the weather forecast and the rain and the scientific discovery that one drop of rain keeps like three Baptists away and all of that kind of stuff, instead of focusing on that, I was like, you know what? I am not griping at all. Because you know, there's a sovereign king of the universe who loves my church 
a billion times more than me and loves Western North Carolina a trillion times more than me. So Bruce, why don't you just shut your mouth and trust the sovereign God of the universe that it's gonna be okay. You've prayed, you've prepared, just go with it. And so instead of being ungrateful, all of a sudden I was pretty joyful. It's like, come on, man. God even brought to mind that Hosea 6 verse that says like the, like the spring showers watering the earth so the Lord will come down to his people. I'm like, bring it, that's awesome. Just because my God in my mind with worship got bigger. It's also uh, when you got a little view of God, you judge God. I mean, some of us have thought this or said this. You judge with a little tiny little view of God that we can contain and put in a little box. We say things like, how could a good God allow thousands of kids to starve to death every day by by diseases that could have been prevented? And we put God on the in the, in the seat to be judged. But when you have a big view of God, you realize that you're gonna stand before God one day and he's gonna judge you. And he might ask you the question, how can you allow thousands of kids to die of preventable diseases every day when I gave you all the means and necessary of, of actually helping them? Hey, which by the way, just real quickly, one of the great job on the, this, the Compassion International kids, great job on that. I got a text this week that our church, we're number, there's only five churches in the country that sponsor as many kids as you do through Compassion International. Just five in the country. Not that we're keeping score, it's not a competition, but if it was, we're winning. So I'm just saying, I'm just saying, great, great job on that. Great job on that. When you have a, uh, when you have a small view of God, uh, you get really anxious when you read the newspaper or you look on your phone or when you watch CNN or Fox or whatever, and you're like, man, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. And you're like, what is going on? What's going on? You're so anxious about everything. And you worry through the doom scroll and you're like, everything is going. If, if that is your appetite, that's what will happen. And what worship does is put our eyes back on the fact that, that God is not strolling around heaven, you know, worried in any way. He is not perspiring like I'm perspiring. He is not wondering. It's like, what in the name of me is going on down there? He's not doing any of that stuff at all. None of that stuff. When I was on a treadmill this week, I was, re- I was, I was, I was reading over uh, that worship scene in Isaiah 6. And you don't need to turn to it, but Isaiah 6 is one of like the preeminent worship scenes in all of the Bible. In Isaiah 6, there's a king named Uzziah. Uzziah, in that country, when they had a good king, they had good times. And when they had a bad king, it all went south on them. And Uzziah was a good king. And Uzziah, it starts off Isaiah 6.1. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And usually we just skip right on past in the year that King Uzziah died because it's like, well, okay, that's, you know, the history, etc. But it's more than that. Uzziah was this good king and all the stuff that went along with having this good king. And he did it for 52 years. And so here's the preacher and the only king he'd ever known is Uzziah and, and good stuff and military expansion and economic expansion and everything's good. And now the throne is empty and God's like, hey, hey, hey. All you can see is this little throne down here. I want to bring you up. I want you to see that the throne in heaven is occupied. All right. He is not discouraged. He is not distressed. He is not trying to figure out what's going on. The same way. I can't tell you how many times you get with God's people around God's word with God's music and God's spirit. And then all of a sudden, what used to be a massive deal, when God is put in his proper perspective, you're like... Where are we going to go eat chicken? That's all you got to figure out after that. It's like, it's not, it's not, it's not a big deal. God's got the whole world in his hands. 
Uh, some of you, this is worship is going to be that you don't know it, but worship is the key to getting your marriage back on track. The reason it's, it's there because the number one problem in your marriage is selfishness and stubbornness. Who's going to apologize first and who's going to serve who and who's going to get their way. Then when you're worshiping, you might go to something like a Philippians chapter two, or you might hear a song about Philippians chapter two. And it says, it goes back to the gospel that, you know what? Jesus actually in his humility, he didn't just die. He died a death on a cross that he laid down his rights. And all of a sudden you're like, listen, if Jesus can love me like that, surely I can apologize to my spouse. Surely I can serve her and love her like Christ loved the church. And what does it come back to? It comes back to worship. And, um, you're like, what, what would be an example of this? Because when we think of idols, we think of some different stuff. Idols, I think it was, I can't remember which preacher named this the first time, but it's basically good stuff, oftentimes good stuff, that has become ultimate stuff that ends up becoming damaging stuff. In other words, it can be something good like your family uh, or a business or money or whatever. There's nothing wrong with that. But then it becomes the ultimate source of security and comfort and it becomes what we get our identification from and all of a sudden we put all of our stock in that and then it collapses because idols make promises they cannot keep. The problem we've got, and we'll look at this in the Tale of Two Kingdoms, the problem with this is this. All the opinion shapers of our world spend billions of dollars to convince us that our life will be fully and finally satisfied if we just have that or we just have that person. It's kind of like the, just call it, you know, it's the, it's the land of, it's the land of there. It's the land of there. If I can just get there, then I would be fully and finally satisfied. If I can just get there, then it would all be good. In our culture, there's probably five big ones, but two of them that are enormous and they're enormous in this church. Two of them at least. One of them we can just put in, and it, it is both men and women. So this is an equal opportunity offender. But one of them for sure that our culture pushes and that we buy into, that is the thing we chase after so hard, that would be relationships. We think that if I just, especially if I just meet Mr. Right, then what will happen is I will then find, my soul will be healed. Ladies, please hear me on this. Please hear me. There's not a guy that you'll meet. I don't care if he looks like David Beckham, all right? He could be like David Beckham. He could cook like E. Merrill or whatever that guy's name is. He could be the most awesome guy. He would serve you as soon as you walk in. That is not going to fully and finally set. It's not going to do anything for your soul. It's not going to cure your heart. Marriage is an awesome deal. Relationships are an awesome gift from God. But when we flip it on its head and make our sole purpose that person, we call it codependency. God calls it idolatry. Others of us, it is approval or success. And this is a big one. This is what preachers struggle with, but so do some of y'all. Preachers struggle with it really bad. Approval, because generally speaking, preachers want people to like them, okay? But it, it goes wider than that. Approval is the sense of, it goes everything from, uh, especially now in social media. If I can just get somebody to comment on my post or if they'll retweet this or like this or become my follower or make a comment on it or, all, you know, all, or share this, this will be amazing. And it ends up becoming a dopamine nation that when we see that hit on us, like, oh, oh, I got to do it again. I got to do it again. Loved one, if you and I can get the gospel down, that what more approval are you ever going to need than the cross of Jesus? Because all those people who retweet you and like you and comment, they don't know you. They don't know your motives. 
They don't know the bad stuff. And yet you've got a God who runs the universe, who sent his son to down a cross, who knows all your junk, all your motives, and he still chose to die for you. What more approval are you going to ever get than that? I mean, somebody patting you on the butt saying, man, good job, fella. I mean, that is nothing compared to what God has entrusted. Here's the, here's the verse we always go back to, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. This is like, if you're going to memorize verses in 23, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's the gospel. That's what they used to call the great exchange, that you know what? He takes my sin and he gives me his righteousness. So... What you got to understand, and look at verse 5, look at the language God uses about idols. He says, do not bow down to them. That's the idea of submission. And do not serve them. That's the idea of sacrifice. An idol is something that demands your emotions, your sacrifice. It dictates whether or not you feel like you can have a good life or, or not. And here's what I've learned is, uh, I think it was the Puritans that said, that talked about the expulsive power of the gospel. The expulsive power of the gospel. And what they were talking about is that idols cannot be just replaced, or idols can't be just smashed, they have to be replaced. They can't just, okay, I'm not gonna do that, I'm gonna break this addiction, or I'm gonna, I'm gonna love my spouse, or whatever. They have to be replaced with something greater. And their thing is, when you put the gospel, it is like, sure, these idols are like a saltine cracker. It, there's some stuff there. It gives you like a brief little hit. But when you put it up next to the gospel, it's like, here's a little saltine cracker and here's a ribeye steak. It's like so much better. Now, Jesus makes a point. He says, you can have true worship or false worship. One of them's like authentic and one of them is like fake. And I know real worship is a little bit scary, but I just want you to know it's super worth it. So here's, here's the, I don't think I've ever told you this story before, but let me try to be humble and tell you how this story went down because it's kind of humiliating. But um, so like five or six years ago, I got a chance to um, go out to Montana and hunt trophy whitetail. And so I'm not a great hunter. I didn't grow up hunting, but I'm like trying to catch up as quick as I can. So the, the hunting I'd done was like in Texas with high fences. It was kind of cheating because, you know, your shots are like 150 yards or something. I mean, you sit in a deal, feeder goes off, mutual of Omaha's wild kingdom come out and you pick your, you pick your price. So it's like super, super, it's super easy. But in this case out in Montana, it was what they call open range, meaning that they could be anywhere. So you got to find them, then you got to stalk them. Then you got to get close enough to, to, to take them. So I'm like, oh, I'm gonna practice because I don't wanna go out there and look stupid. So I'm gonna practice. And so I practiced, I practiced. I was like, normally I was like, you know, whatever. I'm gonna practice shots from like 200 yards and 200 yards plus. And I get these little plastic deer, little deer targets, you know, and I'm like, no problem, no problem. I had a sweet scope, it was just like, boom, boom. Calm as can be. It wasn't really a big high because it seemed like work, but I'm like, boom, boom. Okay, okay, I'm pretty good. So we get out to Montana and we find big boy. And uh, so we, we drive and we got a belly crawl like 300, 300, 400 yards. And we get to this little, this little um, crest. It's real flat with weed. It's Montana, you're, you're in the valley. So we get just over this little crest and there he is. Now he's about 200, 225 yards away and he's laying down. But I can, he's got these, he got this big rack, big old antler sticking up. It's like, that's it. And the guide with me is like, that's the one you can take. That's the one you can take. And so I sit there for like two hours waiting for that guy to get up 
and he won't get up. All these does are around him. They're supposed to be watching out for guys like me, but they're not, not paying attention. So this, this buck stays down for like two hours. And during those two hours, I got to tell you, I was calm, cool, collected. I put that, I put that spot right. I mean, I was, I was like all in his ear hole. I could put it anywhere at all, anywhere, anywhere I want to do. But then brother got up and I'm telling you what had been a calm, cool and collected guy. I'm t- he rises up and it's like, Ugh! I was like starting to hyperventilate. They call it bug fever. I don't know how you train for it, but it's like, I, I, I'd had it before, but it's like practice your breathing. Kind of like, kind of like, it felt like giving birth. I was just like, okay, shh, shh, shh. you know, practice your breathing, be calm. But I got to tell you, no matter what I did, I could not, I, that target was all of a sudden like this, no joke. And worst case, he actually gets up and then walks away from me. He walks away from me and I'm actually thinking to myself and I'm, t- I'm thinking about asking the guide, hey, can I shoot him in the butt? Cause I mean, I, it's not, not, no problem with me, but he's like, no, no, no. But then he goes about 50 more, y- 50 more yards and then he turns broadside, which is a perfect shot, easy shot. I mean, it's a big old boy. He does, you're supposed to get him right there. But I knew I, my whole adrenaline was going out my head and I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like and the guy's like, Anytime now, anytime now, anytime now. And so I knew it was the time to shoot, but I also knew I couldn't keep it on the target. <laughs> True confessions, don't tell anybody else. But I, I go, I was like, I got to shoot. So I like try to, you know, squeeze it real, boom. I didn't even nick him. I didn't even touch him. It probably hit Farmer Joe a mile away. I mean, he's probably, <laughs> I probably got him. But it was, here's the deal. It was such a bad shot. It was such a bad shot. That deer and the doe, they didn't even know where it came from. It's just like, what happened? Instead of running, I was like, you know, boom. And then you're, you're embarrassed, so you're not nervous anymore. And, you know, next one took him. He's in my office if you want to see him. Here's my point. My point is that my point is this was the practice and the little plastic deer and all that stuff. I mean, that's one thing. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's useful. It's a decent hobby. But loved one, there's nothing, nothing like the emotion and adrenaline and fulfillment and reward of the real thing. And here's what I'm saying. When it comes to just doing worship and just checking it off, that's like the little plastic deer you just pop, pop. And church is a terrible hobby. Church is a terrible hobby. If all it is a hobby to you, you're over there just like pink, pink, and no wonder. But when you actually encounter the God of the universe in a congregational setting, and God takes you to the mat with all that he is and all he wants to do in your life, you will never, ever, ever say, I'm okay with deficient worship. And so what we're going to try to do, what we're going to try to do is every single week, congregationally, we're going to work our tails off. I think we already have to say, we're not going to hit a home run every single time, but if you will come prayed up, worshiped up, man, there's nothing like the people of God worshiping the son of God through the power of the spirit of God. This is nothing like that. Now it's more than that. We're going to try to teach you. Okay. Here's some private things you can do. Here's how you have devotionals with your family. There's all that kind of stuff as well. But listen, his love is better than any romance that you're ever going to have. His promises are more secure than the best portfolio in this room. His attention, his approval is better than the praise of any person. And instead of demanding sacrifice like idols do, Jesus says, I'll be the sacrifice for you. All right, I'll push up on those nail-scarred hands and saying, it is finished. Not I am finished, not you are finished. It is finished. You don't have to pay for your sin. Now, before we practice, I would say this. Sometimes people hit that last part of the text and it's like, because it's mentioned not just here, it's mentioned a few times that God's a jealous God. 
As I said earlier, some people, famous people down through history have seen that. Another book says that his name is Jealous. You know, we love the other names, you know, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, and Healer, and all those things, but there's actually, it says, one of his names is Jealous, and people are like, Jealous? That's like, it reminds us of like a sixth grade boy jealous of something. Please hear me, though, that God is not jealous of you. He is jealous for you. God is not jealous of any of us. I mean, how, how ridiculous is that? You think God's up in heaven looking down at any of us in this room going, man, I wish I had abs like that guy. I mean, you think he's doing that? You think he's like, man, did you see the sweet Tesla he drove? He's not doing that at all. You think he's looking down, he's like, man, I wish I had as many followers on Instagram as she has. He's not doing that at all. He is jealous for you because he knows he is the only one that fulfills and fully and finally satisfies you at the soul level. He's like a mama looking down at her baby breastfeeding and she's not jealous of the baby. She's jealous for the baby. She's like, you need me for life. You need me for satisfaction. You need me. You need, that's what he's saying. And so when we worship, here's what we're going to do. We're going to worship God and finish up this little deal. We're going to worship God in truth. Psalm 119 verse 47 says, I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. Church, I've been doing this for 30 years, been with you for 14 years. I can, I can say as honestly as I can, I've never loved God's word more. Never loved getting in it personally more. I want you to love it. I want you, like the psalmist says, I delight in your word. When is the last time you actually delighted, like looked forward to just reading, not prepping for a class, not doing it for somebody else, just reading it and reading the love story of God back to you. Because I promise you, you're gonna have competition. You're going to have competition. I mean, even those Netflix series, which some of them are awesome. You know, you get the, apparently there's one called Yellowstone with people like Beth and Rip, but I wouldn't know anything about that. But I would just say when, when you binge watch, what happens is, you know, it gets to the end of it and it gives you like 10 seconds to decide whether or not you're going to watch another one. And you might be at 10 p.m. and think, man, we need to go to bed. We got to get up for work in the morning, but you're like 10, 9. It's like, you know, I got some homework to do. I got one. He's like, ah, do another one, do another one, do another one. Because you, why? Because you like that stuff. And what God is saying is it might not be that way right now. Maybe it's drudgery right now, but drudgery can turn into the light real, real soon. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to do uh, here the series that are marked out there. Tale of two kingdoms, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, and the kingdom of this world. If you're a Christ follower, your primary identity is not as a Republican, is not as a Democrat. It is a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And so we're going to look at how does a citizen navigate this world Politically, your work, your marriage, power, gender. Yes, you can pray for that one. It'll be a little tense in here. Then we're going to spend about three or four weeks called six hours, one Friday, because six hours, one Friday, 2,000 years ago, Jesus, there's a lot of stuff going on on the cross. So we'll prep almost for a month to get ready for Easter. Then in the, uh, the summer, we're going to spend a whole summer from right after Easter all the way up until Labor Day in a book in the Bible called the Book of Psalms. All right, the Book of Psalms. We're going to try to resource you a ton. There'll be a journal kind of like the Gospel of John. There'll actually be little things you can push to have a psalm read to you from some of our people. If you've got like a killer voice like the guy on the, like the VO on there, whoever that was, you know, so come up and say, like, I'll read one, I'll read one. So we'll record it. There's 150. I mean, so you can actually listen to one a day throughout the summer if you want to. And then uh, after that, that little smiley face there or the little dot, 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 that means preacher doesn't know he's preaching to kick off the fall. So you can pray for me about that. Not sure yet. Then we're going to end up having um, 
My 15-year sabbatical, personnel team's awesome. They're like, hey, you got a sabbatical, it's 15 years. They actually do one every five, but this is 15 years. And so I'm bringing in some of the best preachers. Uh, sometimes our CPs will do it, but then I got guys like Crawford Loritz, Joby Martin, uh, Matt Carter, some of those guys will be coming in and uh, doing that. And then we'll, be, then we'll be at Advent as well and uh, celebrate Christmas. So here's what, uh, last thing. Worship God in spirit. Um, it is so good. The last couple years, some of them have been that, that log. You know, if you see like one log in a fireplace, there's, just a, there's only a certain amount of heat and flame that can come from just one log. Pretty soon that's going to be extinguished. It's just going to run out of energy, run out of fuel. But you put that same log with a bunch of other logs, man, it's not, not only does it go longer, it goes bigger and faster and brighter. That's what church is supposed to be. And so as we go to 2023, don't underestimate what you're doing right this minute. God's, this is part of God's discipleship of you, his care of you, his encouragement to you. Some of you came in here and you're like, God, man, it's just terrible. And you're not going to walk out of here that way. Why? Because let me give you like one other illustration. When you put like microwave popcorn in a microwave, if you were to look inside the bag, all it is is a bunch of hard inedible kernels. But you stick it in the microwave and all of a sudden all that stuff starts going on and then it heats up the steam that's in the kernel and then pretty soon the kernel can't contain the steam and then pretty soon, boom, it explodes into something that used to be inedible, nasty, hard, and now it's like a delectable treat. What was the difference? It just got in an environment that brought out what was already in it. That's what church is supposed to be. What a microwave is to that kernel, that's what church is supposed to be to the Christian. When you get around other folks, you get sharpened, you get comforted, you get spurred on, you get encouraged. So let me just say two things that, uh, two things our enemy does not like. Our enemy, our enemy fears a worshiping and a praying church. I'm putting prayer into, into the worship. It fears, it, our enemy fears a worshiping church and it fears a rescuing church. So here's what we're going to do. What we do, what we do throughout the year, whether it be in Waynesville, whether it be in foster care, whether it be in jail, whether it be in seeing a bunch of tons of people baptized, all that stuff has to be spurred on by the flame and the furnace of worship. So here's how we're going to start 2023. There's an old, 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 old song called Coming Back to the Heart of Worship. And part of it is like, I'm sorry for what I've made it. I'm sorry for what I've made it. So maybe you've made it just a checklist. Maybe there's something there that has kind of gotten on the throne of your heart where only God is supposed to be. Then how appropriate would it be to start the year off and just take that one step. And for you, that one step might be actually coming and just praying at the altar and go, God, I tell you what, I want to just give you this addiction. I want to give you this idol. I want to give you this thing that's out of balance and put you right back on there. For others of you, it's a new song and a new year. Bible says, sing to me a new song. They actually would write songs to say, here's a song about a victory that God is going to bring or has brought. It's for you, it might be God, would you give me a new song? A new song of faith that actually prays for my marriage or my prodigal or my health. The 2023, is gonna be different, it's gonna be new. And that's not positive thinking, that's biblical faith. 
that I do believe, I do believe that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living and I'm believing it for 2023. And so why don't you do this, why don't you stand to your feet if you would. For some of us, it's a first step is for you to open up your mouth and sing. For a lot of us, we just need to come down here and give 2023 to him. God, God restore to me the joy that I used to have. And um, then we'll be dismissed. Father, our prayer is the next three or four minutes as we close out the start of a, the start of a year. Pray that it will be the beginning of a great year for everybody who's a, you know, listening right now, that, to that this, this year would be a time where you help families that are struggling, help them flourish. Marriages that are floundering, help them flourish. Breathe new life into them. Just like you breathed life into your son 2,000 years ago, breathe life into them. God, I pray for our church that we would see the things you've laid on our heart, that we would see that and we, you would give us the words to express to you and the praise to reflect back to you. Help this song be sort of an anthem that we use throughout the year, that I'm, we're sorry when we've made worship something that it's not, and help us to come back to what it is. And we pray it in Jesus' name, amen.